Do we have kingdom kids this afternoon? I believe we do, so all of you kids who are going to go off to kingdom kids, you may do that now. And the rest of us, you can open your books of praise to page 554, where we find Lord's Day 38. Lord's Day 38. I'm going to ask the question and have you respond in unison with the answer. Brothers and sisters, what does God require in the fourth commandment? To hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon the Lord, and to give Christian offerings for the poor. Thank you. So, brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you were to pull out of the driveway here at church and turn right down the road, you could travel just a couple of blocks, and there's a Tim Hortons there, and you could pull into the Tim Hortons and get yourself, well, a pumpkin spice ice cap or a delicious hot chocolate or something that you like at Tim Hortons. You can do that today, but 25 years ago, that would have been impossible, not just because probably 25 years ago there was no Tim Hortons there, but 25 years ago, there were no stores open on Sundays. It wasn't until 1992 that the Ontario government allowed for stores to be open on Sundays, and that was a common thing, that the stores were closed across Canada because Canada was considered, or the majority of the population was considered Christian, and so the stores were closed because Sunday is the Christian day of rest. So obviously that is not the case anymore. If you wanted to, you could pull out of the driveway and turn right and head down and go to Tim Hortons this afternoon. Would you do that? I think some of us perhaps might do that, but I think that most of us, if we've grown up in a, in a Reformed church, certainly if you've grown up in a Canadian Reformed church, you would probably not do that. You probably wouldn't go to Tim Hortons. You wouldn't go shopping on a Sunday because you would understand that the fourth commandment restricts you from working and making other people work and being involved in general commerce on the day of rest which is actually a, quite an interesting thing, isn't it? It's, it's interesting because our church here at Jubilee is a confessionally reformed church, which means that we allow our faith to be guided by Scripture as it's summarized and taught in the historic confessions of the church. But we just read Lord's Day 38, which mentions nothing about working or shopping on the Lord's Day. The confessions of our church don't mention that issue at all. And yet most of us have some pretty fixed ideas as to what it means to observe the Sabbath in terms of working and shopping. I've spoken to a lot of people about the fourth commandment, a lot of Christians in general, uh, a lot of Reformed Christians, about what this fourth commandment means for us today. And to be honest, I think that a lot of people are really confused about the fourth commandment. So this afternoon, I'm going to try my best to give us a little bit of clarity on how we should try to understand the fourth commandment in our lives today. 
It's a tricky subject, but I think clarity is possible. So this is what I would like to do. I'd like to briefly look at what the Old Testament has to say, then to briefly look at what the New Testament has to say. Then I'd like to talk about uh, how Lord's Day 38 compares to other Reformed traditions in terms of the Fourth Commandment, and then get down to some nitty-gritty as to what does that actually mean then for our everyday life when it comes to Sunday observance. And I'm sure that that's not going to answer all of your questions. So I'd be happy to stay after the service up front here. If you have any questions or comments, uh, I'm welcome. I, I'd welcome you to come and we can chat about that for a little bit after the service. So let's start with the Old Testament and let's look at the fourth commandment as it's found in Exodus 20 and then as it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, I've found that when many Reformed Christians, when they talk about the Sabbath day or the Sunday day, what they do is they take quite a simplistic reading of Exodus chapter 20, and what they say is, well, God didn't work on the seventh day, so we don't work on the seventh day. Because that's what it seems to say, right? But you do have to go a little bit deeper than that. What does it mean that God rested from his work on the seventh day? And why then would he ask us to do the same? Because nothing in the Bible is just arbitrary. It's not like God said, well, it would be cool if they had a weekend like I did. Right? It's, it's not arbitrary. It has deep spiritual meaning. So what Exodus 20 does is it refers back to Genesis chapter 1. So if you like, you can look at Genesis chapter 1 with me, the very last verse, and then into chapter 2. It says this, Genesis 1.31, And God saw, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on that day, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So what's going on here? What does it mean that God rested on the seventh day? What does that actually mean? Well, it does not mean that God was just really tired and he needed some time off. That's not what it means. It didn't mean that God sort of needed a mental health day or a weekend at the cottage to relax after a hard week of work. It also doesn't mean that God completely stopped everything that he was doing and there was no more work involved because obviously he was sustaining and governing his, governing his creation because he is God. So what does it mean that God rested? Exodus 31 says that he rested and was refreshed. You could say that he rested and that he enjoyed what he had created. After creating the world, God rested in peaceful relationship with his creation. We know that he walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. He participated in, in the shalom, in the peaceful creation that he had created in this peaceful relationship with the entire created world, but especially with Adam and Eve, his covenant people, his church. He rested in peaceful relationship with them on the seventh day. So it's not enough just to say, God didn't work the seventh day, we'd have to not work the seventh day. You have to grasp what is spiritually going on here. God rested in peaceful relationship with his creation, with his church, and then through the fourth commandment, he calls us to join him in that rest. And one of the clues that this is what it's all about 
is that the seventh day, maybe you didn't notice this, but the seventh day is the only day of creation that does not have a morning and an evening. Did you notice that? All the days of creation talk about an evening and a morning, the sixth day, and then you come to the seventh day and there is no evening and morning. Why is that? Because the seventh day is properly understood not as just a physical day, but a spiritual day that does not end. It's a spiritual day that then continues on throughout history, and God invites us to enter into this spiritual day, to enter into this day of spiritual rest with him. So the seventh day really is a spiritual reality still today of God resting in relationship with his creation, with his church. So I know we're looking at the Old Testament here at the moment, but flip to your Bibles to the book of Revelation for a moment. Have a look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. So chapter 14, verse 11 of the last book of the Bible is talking about hell. So listen to how hell is described in Revelation 14, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. In hell, people are stuck in this endless cycle of night and day and night and day, evening and morning, evening and morning, and they never get any rest. They never get to the seventh day. They never attain spiritual rest with God. Now think about how the new heaven and the new earth is described in Revelation. So you flip over to the very end, to Revelation 22, verse 5. Revelation 22, verse 5, describing the new heaven and the new earth, and it says, And night will be no more, and they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will, uh, and they will reign forever and ever. No nighttime and no sun, just the Lord being their light forever. No evening, no morning, one day of endless rest. The new heaven and new earth is in its fullest accomplishment, what Lord's Day 38 calls the eternal Sabbath. In the new heaven and new earth, we live eternally in the seventh day that started way back in Genesis chapter 2. And we live in intimate, personal, peaceful relationship with God forever and ever. Okay, back to the Old Testament. The seventh day is properly understood not just as a physical day, but as a spiritual day, a spiritual reality, God resting in relationship with his creation, with his church. And then when, if you understand that's what's going on, then you begin to understand that the fourth commandment is not just an arbitrary, well, I rested from my work, so you should rest too, type command. It has to do first and foremost with resting in peaceful relationship with God. So that's where we come to when we start from Exodus chapter 20. So now let's switch over and look at this commandment from a different perspective, from the other list of the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, and we're going to find it leads us to the same place. Both lists of the commandments start in the same way. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We skip over that pretty quick, but that's actually quite an important thing. It gives you the historical context of the Ten Commandments. The people of God had just come out of the trauma of slavery in Egypt. All they had known for 400 years was being slaves. Generation after generation, only knowing what it means to be enslaved, making bricks. Day in, day out, morning and evening and evening and morning, no rest as a slave. But now God, he's brought them out of the house of slavery 
And in order to teach them how to be free, how to live as a free people of God, he brings them to Mount Sinai and he gives them 10 commandments. It's gonna teach them how to not be slaves any longer, but to live freely, to get rid of their slave culture and live as the in covenant with God. And that includes the fourth commandment, observe the Sabbath day. So it was a commandment to, to help ex-slaves experience true freedom. And that's what we see, especially in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15. So let me just read that one, uh, one more time. Chapter 5, verse 15 says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The day of rest was given to the people of God so that they could say, You know what? I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer in Egypt. I'm not a human machine built for the benefit of other people, for my slave masters. My value is no longer based on my productivity as a slave. What I do does not define who I am. I'm no longer a slave. I'm no longer stuck in this unending cycle of making bricks day and night, day and night with no rest, morning and evening, evening and morning. I've been freed from all that. I've been saved. I've entered into the seventh day of God. I've entered into that seventh day of rest with the Lord in peaceful relationship with him. And then as a sign of this new peaceful relationship with God, he's given me the fourth commandment where I have a whole day where I cease from productivity and I remember that I'm not a slave and I just rest in peaceful relationship with the God who saved me. You see, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, they end up bringing us spiritually to the same place that this commandment is primarily about resting in peaceful relationship with God. Does that make sense? You begin to get your head wrapped around the, the spiritual meaning of this commandment, well, then all kinds of stuff in the Old Testament starts to make better sense. For example, in the Old Testament, the Sabbath day was not just a commandment. The Sabbath day was also a sign of the covenant. Exodus 31, 16, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. So the fourth commandment is very unique. It's the only commandment that is itself a sign of the covenant. So the sign of the covenant with Abraham was circumcision. The sign of the covenant with Moses and the people was the Sabbath day. And a covenant sign is a physical sign that points to a spiritual reality. And so the Sabbath day was a physical sign of the spirituality that, hey, we're not slaves anymore. We're free. And we've been saved, and we can just live in peaceful, restful harmony with God in relationship with him. So you can think about it a little bit like this. You imagine Israel, they've, they're no longer slaves. They get the commandments. They travel through the desert. They get into the promised land. And they're in a promised land. And now instead of being, uh, you know, people that walk around all the time and never really settle in any place, they're going to stop being nomads and they're going to settle and they have to grow food to feed themselves. But according to the fourth commandment, they're not allowed to go out into their field to work on the seventh day. That means they're not allowed to go even when it's planting season even if it happens that the Sabbath day ends up being the most beautiful, perfect day for planting their food, which they need in order to survive, they don't go out. So you think about that a little bit. That would require some faith on their part to do that. So you can imagine the average Israelite on, during planting season, and he's like, oh man, I need to plant my crop because my family's got to eat, right? But today's the Sabbath, so I can't go out to work. And that's kind of making me a little bit nervous because it's a perfect day for planting and if I plant too late, it's not going to go well. So, huh, 
okay, I'm going to trust God. I'm in covenant with God. He's going to take care of me. Even if I don't work today, I don't have to worry about stuff. I don't have to work, worry about getting all that done. I'm not a slave. I'm in relationship with my covenant God. He's my savior. It's going to be okay. So that's how the fourth commandment was supposed to function in the lives of the everyday Israelites as a covenant sign for the strengthening of their faith. It's a sign reminding them, calling the covenant people, rest in your relationship with God. And that's why, in the Old Testament at least, breaking the, the fourth commandment was very serious. You could be punished by death if you worked on the Sabbath. Because for an Israelite, to go and work on the Sabbath day was like you were saying, I reject your covenant. I reject your, my relationship with God. I don't have faith in God, and I prefer to live as a slave than a son of God or a daughter of God. Thank you very much. To break the Sabbath was to break faith, to reject your relationship your rest with God. In a way, you could say it was to choose hell over heaven. To reject the sign of the covenant is to reject the covenant itself. It's a little bit like if you saw me take my marriage ring here and be like, oh, I don't like my marriage ring, I'd toss it out. You would know that it says something about my marriage. This is just a sign of my marriage, right? It's not my marriage. But if you just throw out the obedience to the fourth commandment in the Old Testament, they say, hey, you're going to get punished because obviously you're throwing out your relationship with God. Now, that's very important to understand because it's not like God has some intrinsic difficulty with people working on a Sunday or working on a Sabbath day or picking up sticks on a Sabbath day. It was always a question of the heart already in the Old Testament. So the outward sign is not the main focus. It's the spiritual reality that the sign was pointing to, resting in relationship with God. And that's why you see if you if you go through the rest of the Old Testament, you go through Isaiah 1 and Hosea 2 and, and Amos 5, they all talk about how the Lord hates it when people keep the Sabbath, but their heart's not in it. And God says, then I just hate your Sabbath. Like, don't even waste, why would you waste your time keeping the rules of the, sun, of the Sabbath day if your heart's not in it? And you have things like Psalm 94:5, which warns the church that those who go astray in their heart or harden their heart will not enter God's rest, Right? Outward observance is not the focus. Heartfelt resting in God, in relationship to God, is what the fourth commandment is focused on. So that's, that's our brief look at the Old Testament. You could say a lot more about that. But in general, in the Old Testament, the fourth commandment is about way more than what you may or may not do on a Sabbath day. What you may or may not do is the outward sign, but the real issue is the inner spiritual reality, the relationship with God. The fourth commandment is a sign of the covenant. It's a call to rest in God, trust God, enter his rest, be part of this, this spiritual seventh day that, that you know, spreads throughout all of history. Be in covenant with God, be in peaceful relationship with him, rest in him as the saved people of God, as the church. That's what the Old Testament focus is. Okay, so that's the Old Testament. What happens when you get to the New Testament? Well, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ arrives. Jesus, who we know is the source of our rest, and of course the object of our faith. And in Matthew chapter 12, we get this very interesting story about Jesus. I'm just going to read this to you. It's a couple of verses at the beginning of Matthew chapter 12. Listen to this. You know this story. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry. So they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. But when the Pharisees saw, what, saw it, they said to him, said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. 
Jesus said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple, this is a good verse for pastors, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, but they're guiltless. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. What is Jesus saying to these Pharisees? First of all, no, he does not deny that his disciples have broken the Sabbath. He doesn't deny that. What he does is he points them to the Old Testament, and he says, here's a couple of Old Testament stories about how already way back then, the focus was not on the Sabbath rules. It was on the question of your heart. This focus was not on the sacrifice, on the, on the, the outward rules and regulations. It was on mercy. It was on questions of the heart. And then Jesus says, and something greater than the temple is here. The Son of Man, that is me, Jesus, is Lord of the Sabbath, he says. In other words, Pharisees, take your focus off the temple, take your focus off all the regulations, focus on me here. I'm greater than the temple. When you think about the Sabbath, think about me. Take your focus off all the outward signs of the Sabbath, the observance, the rules about what you should not do and what you should not do and judging others according to that. Focus on me, Jesus. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The peaceful relationship with our God since Exodus and Deuteronomy has been symbolized in, in the Old Testament by physical rest on the seventh day. That is now all comes to completion. It finds its fullest meaning in the person of Jesus Christ. And actually, that's exactly what Jesus says. If you were to look at Matthew 12, if you were just to go a little bit earlier and look at the very end of Matthew 11, we find these famous words where Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Matthew's putting these two stories right together to tell us something. To believe in Jesus Christ is to enter into this seventh day of creation. It's to enter into the spiritual rest that extends from Genesis 2 all the way to the new heaven and earth and into eternity. To believe in Jesus is to be saved from the slavery of sin and to find rest for our souls. To believe in Jesus is to obey the fourth commandment and experience true spiritual rest, a peaceful relationship with God. You could say it like this. In the Old Testament, the fourth commandment is Observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy. In the New Testament, the command is, come to me all who, are labor, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the Old Testament, the, the focus is on the Sabbath observance as a covenant sign of resting in God. And in the New Testament, the focus is on faith in Jesus Christ who gives us that rest of God by grace through faith. And this is the straightforward teaching of Lord's Day 38. Look at Lord's Day, uh, Lord's Day 38. It says in the second part, Second, that all the days of my life I rest from evil works, let the Lord work in me through his Holy Spirit, and so begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. So just let's pause here for a moment. 
We're going to talk in just a second about what this means about what you can do and not do on the Sabbath day, okay? But I understand that it's Sunday afternoon and the benches are difficult and this has been very theological, okay? So I want to crank it back for a moment and try to make this more personal. Jesus calls us to come to him in faith and find rest for our souls. Have you come? Jesus calls out from the pages of Scripture, come to me, come to me in faith, all you who are tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. Have you come? Have you responded to Jesus? Maybe you've never worked a Sabbath day in your life. That's not what I'm asking. Have you personally come to Jesus Christ? Have you personally come and put your faith and your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? Do you personally rest in him and, and trust him and all, everything that he did for your salvation? Have you entered into the seventh day of God's spiritual rest, or are you perhaps stuck in this unending cycle of evening and morning of slavery? That's a personal question. But that's a biblical question as well. Hebrews 4, listen to how Hebrews 4 says it. Therefore the promise of entering his rest still stands. We who have believed enter that rest, but it remains for some to enter. And I wonder if it remains for some to enter amongst you here this afternoon. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Strive to enter that rest. This is the call of the gospel, the call of the New Testament. Strive to enter the rest of God. Repent from your sins. Trust in God, in Jesus. Answer his call. Answer the promises of the covenant made to you in your baptism if you were baptized as an infant. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord of the Sabbath, and you will find rest for your souls. Don't be a slave. Enter into Sabbath rest in Christ. So let's say you've done that. You've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're resting from your evil works. You're letting the Lord work in you through his Holy Spirit. You're beginning in this life already the eternal Sabbath. Is there anything else that you have to do in order to obey the fourth commandment? Does the Old Testament rules about working or not working on the Sabbath day still apply for us today? And here we enter into a great debate. A debate that has existed throughout almost all of Christian history. In the history of the Reformed Church, this debate uh, also happened at the Synod of Dort and was not resolved. It is a debate that was also discussed at length by, by our Dutch sister churches at one of their synods in 1999. There are two schools of thought when it comes to this question. The first one is normally identified as the Presbyterian or Puritan perspective. It comes from the later 16th and 17th century reformers. In the Westminster Larger Catechism, question and answer 117, it states that the Sabbath or the Lord's Day is to be set aside for communal worship of God. Right? Everyone agrees with that. And then it says this, I quote, The Lord's Day is to be sanctified by a holy resting all the day, 
not only from such works as are at all times sinful, but even from such worldly employments and recreations as are on other days lawful. In other words, the Sabbath is to be set aside for worship and you must not do any work or recreation on that day. Although the Westminster Confession, or the Westminster Catechism, does make room for works of necessity and mercy. So the logic of this position is as follows. There is a very strong continuity between the Jewish Sabbath and the Christian Lord's Day. And though the New Testament doesn't say it specifically, the fourth commandment, they argue, is obviously rooted in creation itself, and so it is universally valid for all people in all times in the Christian church. So this perspective has been adopted throughout history by uh, many Christian rulers of Christian uh, nations, and by many Western countries just until recently. It was Canadian law until 25 years ago. It was also the perspective that historically has been practiced in the Canadian Reformed churches for the most part. It is a valid and a biblical understanding of the fourth commandment. The second school of thought on this, or the second perspective on Lord's Day observance, is the perspective of the Heidelberg Catechism. And it comes from earlier reformers, especially John Calvin, but also Luther. What Calvin did is Calvin went back and studied the early church fathers. And he discovered that in the early church, the Sabbath was always talked about in spiritual terms for the Christian, not in terms of physical rest from physical labor. And he found, in fact, that in the early church, the, the Lord's Day, the Christian Lord's Day, was contrasted with the Jewish Sabbath rather than correlated with it. So, for example, in 321, when the Emperor Constantine proclaimed that Sunday would be a day of rest throughout the entire Roman Empire, he did that, but he did not reference the fourth commandment when he did it. In Augustine, in the 400s, after Jesus Christ, he explained the fourth commandment in spiritual terms, not in terms of Sabbath observance. And history shows that the, the move to equate the Sabbath day and the Lord's day, and then make the day, uh, day of rest about not doing your regular work and, and, uh, and not doing such things, that was a middle-aged doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church that used Old Testament laws often to make people go to church on Sunday. So in his book, The Institutes, John Calvin states that the Sabbath only has ceremonial value. Quoting Colossians 2.17, he says, the Sabbath is a sign or it's a shadow of a, that has been fulfilled in Christ. And he argued that God resting on the seventh day is a good example for us, but it's not a universally valid creation ordinance because it's not mentioned until Exodus and it's not practiced by the biblical patriarchs, for example. So Sunday as a day of rest follows God's example of rest, but it's not a continuation of the Jewish Sabbath. So Calvin argued that to obey the seventh commandment was to rest in Christ, laying aside your evil works, letting God work in you. And he points out that Christians, thanks to the sacrifice of Christ, have much more freedom in respect to the day of rest than Old Testament believers did with the Sabbath. And so Calvin, he rejected any legality or what he calls superstitious observance of the Sunday. He did, however, exhort believers to observe the Sunday by faithfully attending worship services. And this is the teaching that we find in Lord's Day 38. It explains the seventh commandment in terms of living an eternal Sabbath all the days of our lives, maintaining the ministry of the gospel and the schools, that is the seminaries who train pastors to preach on Sundays, and especially on the day of rest, diligently attending the church of God to hear the word, use the sacraments, pray, and give to the poor. 
So those are the two sides of the debate. You've got the Presbyterian, the Puritan, the Westminster side that agrees with what Lord's Day 38 says, but adds to it and says, but the Sabbath is, uh, or Sunday and Sabbath are linked together. It's universal. It's linked to creation. So on the fourth, the fourth commandment, its restrictions on work still count for today. And then you have the Calvinist and the Heidelberg Catechism side, which says, no, the Sabbath and the Sunday are not exactly the same thing. They're not universally linked to creation. And so the fourth commandment's restrictions against work are just shadows of the old, com- old covenant, and they're not applicable for today. Both of those perspectives are valid biblical perspectives. That is a lot of theology and history, eh? So where is it going to leave us now today? Well, it leaves us with this. Romans chapter 14, verse 5 and 6. I quote, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. He who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord. In other words, you have to exercise your Christian freedom and come to your own biblical conclusions on this matter, seeking the honor, the glory of God. Now, I can imagine that some of you wish I would say something different. Wouldn't it be great if I could just point to a chapter and verse and have a rule and clear it all up for us and we could all believe exactly the same thing about the fourth commandment and what we do on Sundays. In 1999, the synod of our Dutch sister churches had some wise words to say about that. I quote, Everybody agrees that it's important to defend the Christian Sunday, but this should not be done with improper arguments. What cannot be shown to be a scriptural command must not be proclaimed as such. Nor is it right to limit the freedom that has traditionally been granted for different explanations of scriptural teachings regarding the day of rest simply because there is a need for clear rules. End quote. So there's a lot more we could say. And I'll hang around after the service if you'd like to chat more about this and if you'd like to know where I personally land in my personal biblical convictions on this matter, I'd be happy to share it with you. What I would like to do now is simply finish with six very brief encouragements as you wrestle with this issue in your own life. First of all, remember that the overarching goal of the, for, the, for the Christian in terms of the fourth commandment is to rest in Christ by grace through faith, to rest from your evil works, Let the Lord work in you through his Holy Spirit every day of your life and begin already now the eternal Sabbath of God. Second, come to church on Sundays. Don't give up meeting together. Make Sunday worship your priority every week. Sunday worship trumps going to work in general. Third, in the New Testament, the commandments have a the, the commandments in the New Testament, they intensify, which means that the goal, your goal should be to bring spiritual rest into all the days of your week. That's your goal. Your goal is to bring spiritual rest into all the days of your week, not try to bring all the days of your week into your day of rest. 
okay? Your goal is to bring your spiritual rest into all the days of your week. Fourth, the challenge is to come to biblical convictions of your own on what you do and what you do not do beyond what is simply described in Lord's Day 38 on a Sunday. Don't restrict your, your activities, your Sunday activities, just on the basis of tradition. And don't just start going to Timmy's and going to restaurants and doing whatever you want on a Sunday just because now you feel like, oh, cool, I like that. I like that idea. Maybe you want to come here and you want to bring that pumpkin spice ice cap to stay awake during long sermons. I think it's a good idea to stay awake during long sermons. But what you want to do is you want to not just start making your decisions just out of tradition or just because you feel like it. You want to come to biblical convictions on the matter. All right? All for the glory of Christ. Fifth. Once you have become to your biblical convictions on the matter, you have to remember Colossians chapter 2.16, which says, let no one pass judgment on you with regard to a Sabbath. You can and you should have discussions with people who think differently than you, but be respectful and do not judge other people who hold a different position than you as being sinful and don't allow them to do the same thing to you. Sixth, these words of J.P. DeVries. How good would it be if our disputes about the relationship between the fourth commandment and our day of rest on the first day of the week were changed into a powerful witness to outsiders about the rest which Christ offers and of which we, we, we may already receive a foretaste every Sunday. Well, amen to that. Let's pray. Our Lord, Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word and we thank you for Christian freedom led by the Spirit of God for the glory of Christ to come to personal biblical convictions on those areas of Scripture where like-minded scriptural people might not come to the same conclusion. But together, Lord, we pray that you would bless us with your Spirit so that the ministry of the Gospel, also in this church, and the schools, the seminaries, including the Canadian Reformed Seminary, would be maintained. We pray, Lord, that you would help each and every member of this church, especially on the day of rest, the first day of the week, to diligently attend this church of God, to hear God's word, to use the sacraments, to call publicly upon you, O Lord, and to give our offerings for the poor. And then we also pray, Lord, that not just on this day, but every single day of our lives, we would rest from our evil works, that we would let the Lord work in us through his Holy Spirit, that we would begin in this life the eternal Sabbath. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.